If you'd like uh, to while away hours uh, watching YouTube, you'll find on YouTube some of the most famous farewell speeches of the modern age. Uh, farewell speeches uh, from sports people who are retiring, CEOs of companies, uh, presidents and prime ministers. We're just going to spend a moment to watch a short clip of uh, Prime Minister David Cameron's retirement speech earlier. I want them to earlier. stick at it and get on with the job. So I want to take this moment to say thank you to all those who've written letters and emails offering me that support, people who I'll never get to meet and never get to thank personally. It has been the greatest honour of my life to serve our country as Prime Minister over these last six years and to serve as leader of my party for almost 11 years. And as we leave for the last time, my only wish is continued success for this great country that I love so very much. Thank you. If you want to watch the whole speech with words and sound synced, uh, then do uh, look on YouTube for that. Uh, but also, if you uh, do watch the whole of the speech or can remember back uh, to that event in history earlier this summer, You'd have noticed that Cameron uh, is reflecting, first of all, at the beginning of the speech that we didn't watch, all about the past, what he believes that he has achieved in his time as Prime Minister. He then uh, talks about what he is leaving in the present, and then he thinks about what the future holds and then sort of hands over uh, to Theresa May for the future. As we end our journey in Acts that we've been on through this summer, we're going to finish by focusing on this pretty epic uh, farewell speech by the Apostle Paul to the leaders of the churches in Ephesus. If, you, uh, if you've closed your Bible app or a Bible in front of you and would like to open it now, this is your moment because we're going to be looking at this passage in some detail. Uh, it's Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 13. If you just want to turn back to that, Acts 20, beginning at verse 13. So we find that Paul is hurrying back uh, to Jerusalem. We heard that he has sailed past Ephesus uh, because he doesn't have time to stop there and get embroiled in whatever is going on in that part of Asia at the time. But he's really keen to speak to the elders and the church leaders from Ephesus. And so he sends a messenger on the 30-mile journey to Miletus to bring these church leaders back to him. Uh, and they gather around him. You can almost imagine the scene. And this is Paul's farewell speech to these church leaders, people he would have known and nurtured and discipled, their fellow Christians he shared his life and sufferings with, people that he dearly loves. Uh, we read right at the end in verse uh, 37, they all wept at the end of his speech and they embraced him and kissed him. These are people that have journeyed together, that really love each other and care for each other. And so he's taking every opportunity in this speech to encourage and inspire these Christian leaders. And this incredible speech breaks down into three sections, which we're going to look at this morning. The first one is the past, and then we're going to whiz forward to the future, and then the present. So the first section, it's uh, in verses 18 to 21, if you're looking at the Bible. Uh, and it's all about, you know... The most striking phrase in this section is where Paul reminds the gathered people of his ministry in Ephesus, and he says this, you know. 
These are people who know Paul deeply. And so he can say to them with confidence, you know, you know my ministry, you know who I am. He says, you know. These are people who know Paul. He says in verse 18, you know how I live the whole time I was with you. You know, in verse 20, that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would not be helpful. You know how I've served the Lord, he says. You know my humility. You know my tears. You know my testings. You know my faithful preaching and teaching ministry. You know me and you know how I've lived. And he's reminded them that in the future, when they hear smear campaigns against him in Ephesus or Thessalonica or wherever, to look back at what they know of him, his character, what he's taught, what they know of his leadership. This community of fellow Christians know Paul deeply. And so he's able to open up to them. He's able to be vulnerable with them because he loves them and they love him. What an incredible gift that is for Paul, that he has people that know him deeply. What do people know of you? Who knows you? What would be in your you know about me list? You know that I'm a mother, you know that I'm a father, you know that I'm a friend, you know that I'm a teacher, you know that I love sport, you know I run my own business, you know that I'm kind, you know that I'm a leader. You know that I love to go to parties. You know what I look like. You know that I'm generous. You know that I love people. But do you know that I'm a follower of Jesus? Do you know from the way that I live that I'm his disciple? Do you know by my character that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know from the way that I react under pressure that Jesus is in charge of my life? Do you know by the way that I serve others that my love for Christ and for my neighbor is my priority? Do you know by my love for you that I've experienced Jesus' love deeply in my own life? Paul knew that when it came to the crunch, that that it was his character that validated the words that he spoke about Jesus. It was what people knew about him. It was his humility, how he faced times of hardship and testing, his unceasing passion for the gospel that was known, that stuck in people's minds. You know. I remember reading a while ago about one Christian leader who owned his own small business, his own company. And he would take part in leading uh, Sunday services at his church. He'd let the youth group meet in his house, and he would regularly give large sums of money to charities. He was really admired and held up in the church and the community. But within his factory, he wasn't admired at all. What they knew of him at work undermined everything that, his, uh, that he said and did in the, work, in the church place. He was a really unpredictable character. He'd be all smiles and jokes one minute, and then he'd explode in anger and frustration the next. And this was a regular occurrence for those who knew him at work. His character flaws, if you like, undermined who he claimed to be as a disciple of Jesus. And I think this is a challenge for all of us, isn't it? Our character is who we are when no one is looking And as disciples of Jesus, we have responsibility to work on our character because we're called to be Christ-like. And that's a pretty major thing to ask of us. 
We read in uh, Philippians uh, 2 what that means. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found as appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Christ-likeness, holiness, is a pretty impossible task, really. It's a call to godliness and purity and righteousness. But as Paul discovered in his journey of discipleship, God never asks us to do or be anything he doesn't equip us for and give us the power to do. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. So we can be transformed and made holy as we are filled and transformed by the Holy Spirit. We cannot do the transforming but God can. He can transform our character. He can make us more Christ-like. Ask the Holy Spirit to do it in your life. Being a disciple of Jesus is about surrendering your life every day to Christ and journeying with him and being willing daily to let him transform and renew you by the power of the Holy Spirit as we continue to grow in godliness and love and truth. But as Paul was demonstrating in this speech, Being a disciple is about journeying with other people too. People who we can share the race with. People who know you and and, and you can be vulnerable with. I know that some of you here have really benefited from having a a spiritual friend or a a mentor. Someone who can walk on this journey uh, of being a disciple of Jesus. Someone who you can be vulnerable with and real with. I had the same mentor for many years, uh, and she was somebody who really helped me reflect on what God was doing in my own life. She was someone I could trust to talk to about aspects of my character that needed to be transformed, who would help me to see areas of my life where God needed to do some changing too. It wasn't always easy. It was sometimes a little bit painful uh, unpicking all those things and putting it back together. She would introduce me to new ways of praying when I was stuck or having some sort of faith crisis. She was someone who knew uh, some of the hidden places of my life. She knew my weaknesses, and yet she walked with me on this journey of discipleship, and I knew that she loved me as a child of God. And here at P's and G's, as many of you know, we run a mentoring scheme where a number of folk in our church uh, are trained as mentors to meet with uh, you and to walk with you on your journey. And if you think if uh, that's something that you would like uh, in your life to help you to grow as a disciple of Jesus, then please do speak to myself or Di, who just did the reading, and we can help you uh, to get into that process. So the first section of Paul's speech is about you know you know me, you know my character, you know my love for Jesus. And now Paul's speech moves on to the future, on to the future. And this is Acts 20, 22 to 27, if you've got your Bibles open. Paul is telling the gathered leaders that he and they knew the past, but the future is a different story. Because his future is being led by the Holy Spirit. And all he knows for sure is that he's heading to Jerusalem. Paul's future seems really uncertain, even scary. 
but he's able to carry on running the race because of what he knows. I know, Paul says. He knows, he just knows something that gives him confidence to face the future. In verse 22, he knows that the Holy Spirit is compelling him to go to Jerusalem. In verse 23, he knows that the Holy Spirit has warned him that he will face prison and hardship everywhere he goes. But in verse 24, his concern is not about his own safety, but that he must finish the race and complete the task Christ has given him of bearing witness to the good news of Jesus. Verse 25, he knows that realistically, he's not likely to see any of these wonderful people he shared life with again. Verse 27, he knows that he has not held back from preaching the gospel to everyone. His conscience is clear, he says. He's taken every opportunity. I know. What incredible faith and confidence in the Holy Spirit Paul demonstrates here. His knowledge of God and his love for Jesus means that he can step into the unknown with his hand in the hand of God, uncertain of what lies ahead, but having confidence that God is going with him and knowing deeply that his one task is to complete the race that Christ has set before him. Now, I loved the Olympics this year, and I know a lot of you do because you're my friends on Facebook and I see all your news feeds. Um, but uh, about 10 days ago, John and I were driving in the car and we heard the incredible story of the Brazilian sprint canoeist, and I'm not going to say this wrong, but it's something like Isaacias Quiros. Uh, and, and he had a, a really slightly, uh, slightly is probably an understatement, traumatic early life. When Kiros was three, he suffered severe burns when he pulled a pot of boiling water over himself. Uh, as he was recovering from that, age five, he was briefly kidnapped. And as his kidnappers were about to put him forward for adoption, his mum came to the rescue and managed to get him back. He was then in a car accident on the way to the airport once, and the car overturned, but he just about managed to escape uh, fairly unharmed. And then age 10, adventurous Kiros was uh, uh, climbing a tree trying to catch a snake and he fell out of the, the tree and his injuries resulted in him losing a kidney. And if that wasn't enough, in his teenage years, Kiros got into baking and one day he was grating a pineapple. Uh, no, he wasn't. He was breaking it. It'd be easy to grate a pineapple. He was, he was grating a coconut with something, and he severed uh, the top part of his uh, third finger on his left hand. What a life. But those were only minor ob obstacles uh, in his life because he had a goal. He had a goal to be one of the best sprint canoeists in the world. And he knew that whatever had gone before, this was what he was meant to do with his life. And it was brilliant watching Kiros. I actually saw him uh, win a couple of his medals, uh, two silver medals and one bronze medal this summer. And he's the only uh, Brazilian athlete ever to win three medals in one Olympic Games. Quite an achievement for anyone, but particularly somebody who had the, the beginnings of life that he had. What do you know that gives you strength? Strength to face the future, to press on, to run the race. Paul says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. 
I spoke a few weeks ago of uh, the massive decision it was for me and my family to leave Cheltenham where we were previously and come to Edinburgh earlier this year. It did feel like we were stepping out into the unknown and it didn't make much worldly sense either. But the whole way through the decision-making process, all the way through leaving and moving and settling, we've just had a deep sense of knowing, of knowing that this is where God wants us to be. And that gives us strength in the present and also strength for the future. Maybe as you're looking into the next week or the next month or the next year, the future looks a little intimidating or scary for you. But what do you know of God's person? What do you know of God's promises to you or his love that you've experienced in your life so far that give you the strength to face the future? Even though, even though Paul knew, knew that the Holy Spirit is calling him to Jerusalem to face whatever lies ahead there, to run the race the Holy Spirit has given him, he's also not facing that fear, that journey alone. He stood here in front of some of his dear friends, church leaders, sharing from his heart what's going on for him at the moment. And even though none of them are actually going with him physically, he wants them to know he wants them to pray and be there with him in spirit. And there's real emotion here as Paul shares this crux moment in his journey of discipleship. The connect groups are part of the lifeblood of P's and G's and are so important in giving many of us the strength to do this life of discipleship of Jesus. Because as much as we often think of ourselves as lone ranger Christians or disciples, we're not. We're disciples of Jesus in community as much as Paul was as he spoke to these people. And when you're in a church the size of P's and G's, one of the main ways that we can grow and be known and to be part of this church is to be involved in our connect groups. If you don't know much about connect groups, there are a version of small groups. Uh, they're located all over the city. There's about 18 and three new ones about to start. And there's about between six and 60 people in each group. And they all have three ele elements to them. Uh, an up, which is all about connecting with God, learning from him, growing as a disciple, worshipping God. The in, which is about connecting with each other and building those communities and making those friends. And then out, which is about um, connecting with the community or the networks uh, that we live in or have as part of our lives and sh sharing Christ's love with them. And they're all different and they all have a different flavor. But as, I, as I've gone around all the different connect groups over the last seven months, I found groups of people who are meeting to worship God and learn from him together to realign themselves towards God in the midst of busy and pressing lives. I found communities of people sharing leadership and sharing food and sharing life with each other. I found people who are being vulnerable and supporting and caring and loving each other and crying and laughing and having fun too, journeying together as they share the ups and downs of running the race of discipleship. I know does the what you know of God give you the strength to face the, the future? Do you have those people to run that race of discipleship with? And then lastly, the third section in Paul's speech is all about the present. Paul exhorts the Christians he's speaking to to do this. Keep watch, keep watch. 
What, keep watch over yourselves and your fellow Christians, he says. Be vigilant and be on your guard and tells them, keep watch because there are wolves. False teachings, lies, lies new ideas that will lure you away. Experiences that will present as more attractive than following me. Keep watch then for wolves that will try to devastate the flock. Over the summer, you might have heard, it was early in the summer, about the, um, the, the two-year-old child who was killed by an alligator in a lake in Florida. Uh, but I also read on the internet uh, of a teenager who was also attacked by an alligator in America this summer. But as he was pulled into the water by this powerful beast, he started to poke at the animal's eyes with his thumb. And eventually, uh, the animal, the alligator, released him and let him go, and he was able to escape. Even the most powerful creatures have vulnerable places. So even those of us who feel strong in our faith or in a good place at the moment need to keep watch. We need to be on our guard because we all have vulnerable places, weak spots. What is your vulnerable place? It takes us back to our character, doesn't it, that we spoke about before. Maybe it's laziness or despondency or being overly self-confident or reliant, uh, negative thoughts, lust, pornography, um, being a workaholic, just thinking you've got it all sorted. Paul isn't telling these Christians of the dangers around them to freak them out, but so that they can keep watch, be on their guard. So how do we do this? How do we be on our guard? Well, we need to know the truth that will set us free. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, not anybody in this church, who uh, was describing their, their Christian life for the previous 10 years as being a bit like the branches and leaves of a tree. It all looked great. Uh, uh, but when they stopped and they looked closely, they realized that they had all the branches and the leaves, but there was no tree trunk supporting those branches uh, and the leaves. They had no foundation and so for the past year, they've been stripping everything back and not concentrating on the branches and leaves of their Christian faith, but looking at that tree trunk, the foundations of their lives, what they believe in. What is the truth that they believe in? Is there a God? And if, if there is a God, is that Jesus? And what does that look like? Going right back to the heart of the gospel, getting back to the truth of their faith. And being on our guard is about actually our own reading of the Bible or our own prayer lives as well. So we actually know Jesus and what it is we believe, actually know the person of Jesus, actually know the truth of our faith. But it's also the reason we run things like the School of Theology that Dave was talking about earlier, to help us wrestle with the foundations of our faith, that tree trunk of our Christian life, or why we run out the Alpha course that we'll be talking about loads more for the next few weeks. And Paul told these Christians from Ephesus to keep watch over yourself but also of the flock. Watch out for other Christians too. We need to watch each other's backs and ensure people are watching out ours, which takes us back to the fact that we need to be in a community of believers to keep growing as disciples of Jesus. We cannot do this Christian journey on our own. It's about surrendering ourselves to Jesus and surrendering ourselves to each other. So in the present, keep watch be on your guard. We need to take responsibility for our own discipleship, learn it and live it. And so lastly, I just want us to think for a moment, what is God saying to you this morning? 
Is he reminding you that you can't be a disciple of Jesus on your own? That you need others to run this race of discipleship with you? Is he perhaps nudging you to make some changes? Do you need to get a mentor, someone who could help you uh, walk this way of discipleship, help you surrender yourself to God? Do you need perhaps to be more generous with your time? For you, do you need to actually commit to the connect group that you're already part of or step up in leadership in it? Or maybe you realize you need to have people around you to help you to grow. Uh, You've been struggling to run this race on your own and you need to make some changes, make some commitments. And perhaps joining um, a connect group or a transforming work group would be something that where you could receive and give and help you to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Uh, The Christian speaker, Danielle Strickland, speaks really helpfully, I think, about what it means to uh, be a disciple. And she gives us three simple hand gestures that we're just going to finish with today. I'm just going to show you what they are. Uh, And they're things that can help us to remember every day to give our lives to Jesus, to run this race of discipleship. So first of all, she talks about we need to surrender. We need to surrender our lives to Jesus. We need to surrender everything to him, not holding back. And then secondly, she talks about being generous. Being generous. Freely we have received from Jesus. And so freely we give. What does it mean to be generous with your time, your money, your emotions, your space, your life, your home, your food? And then thirdly, about being missional. Actually reaching out and showing Jesus' love to the people that you live life with. Maybe the one thing that we all need to do, though, is to surrender ourselves to God.